makes it so much more shareable when you don't have the gates. So just yeah. thinking about like the community building and your content is being built to help people solve problems. And the easier that it is for them to be able to share that out, the easier it is to get that message across to the rest of the market on what it is that you're doing. You get the link from somebody for a Washington Post and you immediately get the paywall up. And it's Ugh. sort of the same way with your marketing, right? Like, I want to just get around to it. I know that the content is good, but you've now inserted this barrier that, you know, I didn't need. Well, I think yeah. when you say, I know the content is good, I feel like actually sometimes with gating content, it shows that you don't trust that your content's good because <laughs> yeah. you're like, well, I'm going to trick them into giving me their email because then I need to actually sell to them to get them to want to buy. Whereas if you actually have awesome content that you're putting out there that kind of does that for you, then you want that to get as far as wide as possible because you actually think this is going to influence people to want to have conversations with us. You're listening to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast presented by CS2. I'm one of your hosts, Xander Broffel, and joining me as always are Charlie and Chrissy Saunders. Thanks so much for joining today. We are going to be exploring marketing performance measurement when ungating content. So Charlie, let's dive right in. First of all, should I ungate my content? Is there a big benefit there? And if I do, what are some of the implications to marketing measurement that I should really be considering? First off, I think the answer is mostly yes, but there's, there is some nuance to that. Obviously, it depends on what type of content. I mean, things like videos, written content, I think probably better if you do ungate them. But there are things that you probably can't ungate, like if it's a online event you need someone to register you need to get them the link you can't really ungate that <laughs> or something like an in-person event or you know some of the like a demo or something like that you're going to need to collect their information to kind of actually do your side of the bargain and get them access but when it comes to most of people's content i think the answer is yes and i think when it comes down to how like or like how why i have that opinion and why i think others should as well is really down to our philosophy of like market to people like you would want to be marketed to. So if you are listening to this and you love filling out forms, you're probably in the minority. Therefore, if you are the person who actually like, doesn't like filling out forms, you want to just have access to content, you want to learn, you want to be able to do that, then why are you putting other people through unnecessary hoops to be able to do the same? So really giving people access to the content. Like the goal is to actually like get them to read the content, engage with it, understand it, be influenced by it, and then maybe kind of lead them towards a purchasing decision. And it's very kind of antiquated, the idea that I need to put a form in front of them, I need to capture their email, and then I need to you know spam the hell out of them from marketing and sales to convince them. So I think just really, and we've done podcasts on that before, like people talk about it, it's not particularly a new thought, but when it comes to the implications, right, that's where it gets very complicated. And I think we're going to talk a lot about that today and then also how we can actually try and measure and get some data around content. But I think one of the biggest implications is just, it does throw a big question mark around how are we even tracking marketing? Like if you're stuck in the, the old school way of tracking where I'm trying to just get a lot of lead volume, a lot of MQL volume, and then, you know, 60% of your MQLs and leads are coming from, you know, content downloads, then you're going to have a 60, you're going to lose those 60% of leads if you suddenly ungate. So I think that just throws a massive 
you know, issue at you where maybe you have a certain amount of SDRs that have to have a certain amount of leads to keep busy and they're not going to get those leads. And you're also going to have to communicate to leadership and management around why you have less leads and less MQLs. So I don't, none of this is insurmountable and it still is the right thing to do. But this is why I wanted to do this podcast is so we can give you ideas on how to measure properly, how to think about it, how to communicate and take people, take you and your company through this change to get around some of these hurdles when it comes to measure, measurement, marketing measurement and the implications when you do on gate. For sure. For sure. Chrissy, where do you think that we should start? This is uh, probably new news to you guys because I just thought about it right now. But one of the things that I think to start with as like a step one is actually do the pre-work. So one thing that I would actually suggest doing too before you decide to make the change is run some analysis on your web content leads. And if you're MKLing people who are just coming from web content, that's a good place to start. Recently, I worked with the client, was doing a little bit of strategy work on that account. And we did some analysis to actually support this move. So we actually looked at out of their web content MQLs, if we just remove them, like didn't MQL them at all, what would be the impact on their volume, velocity, and conversion metrics? And we actually found that like there wasn't a huge impact on the conversion. Like it didn't bring down their conversion at all, if any. And then from a volume perspective, there was a big shift. So they had like, I think, 7,000 web content MQLs that they could just remove in general. And for them, that was really important because they had just reduced the size of their SDR team, but also their conversion rate was just dropping. They wanted to stick to their goal of around 15%, but then they had to remove some levers on their demographic scoring because they didn't have target accounts and whatnot. So they, but they want to be more effective. So we found like, okay, well, you can just remove those MQLs, obviously still nurture them. They have a strong nurture program and they wouldn't see that much of an impact on how many SQLs that they would, and opportunities they'd be able to generate, but the team would not have to go through and work 7,000 extra people. So they could be more effective also in their outreach. So that's probably likely that they could com- like convert more people as well. So I think that's a really good place to start because when you paint that picture for the demand gen team, the marketing team, even leadership, you can give them a bit more confidence as to why you should make the change and how it won't play a huge impact. Yes, it could play a huge impact in your volume and that maybe means your volume goals need to go down and you can plan for that. But as far as, you know, getting pipeline and, you know, revenue, there wasn't a huge impact on that. Now this could differ for your company, but I would say that you'll probably see something similar because they're usually the lowest converting channels when you're just like gating, getting those leads and then I'm killing them. And granted for this company, they were only really am killing people who were downloading like a high value piece of content, which to me is still, it's just still content, you know, it just further proved that when you took away the, what they considered high value com- content, the, the conversion rate was even less. So, so yeah, so I would say like, do the work first, like get everyone kind of on board or understanding of like, 
what the impacts could be if you did make the change, because then that kind of sets the stage to get everyone confident going into that. I feel like you could even do that if you were not MQLing somebody, but just like understanding, like if you have a stage that's before your MQL or just to look at people that have engaged with content, how many of them are one and done's, how many of them have effective nurtures made against them? Because I feel like that's where a lot of people get nervous is I don't want to lose access to the leads that I can nurture that I have in my database. But at the end of the day, like we're targeting target accounts and we're doing all sorts of things like allow your content to be another channel to engage people and they will come right (laughs) yeah i think to piggyback on that looking at the being like more obsessed in when you're looking at this around the conversions like you're saying chrissy as opposed to the the volume i think when i've looked at this for a client a while ago i remember we were looking at kind of content downloads that had happened you know six plus months ago and did any of them actually turn into pipeline and the ones that did they still did like a demo request before turning in into pipeline so you know arguably you know you could argue both sides but i think the strongest argument is that they would have done that demo request regardless of you capturing their email address at the beginning, right? And maybe they would, maybe you could argue that they would have done the demo request earlier because they would have just binged a load of your content without having to fill out loads of forms. And then they would have filled out the demo request. So was capturing their email address really valuable at that time? And then all of, but then the still, the conversion rate was very, like very, very low, whether you MQL'd them or not. So like if it's, if the conversion rate from people downloading content to pipeline, you know, is 2%, or less, you know, or which is kind of common, I think, maybe even less for a lot of companies. What value are you getting out of this? Especially when those 2% that are converting were coming through a, a you know, a hand raiser form before they converted into pipeline anyway. So you might argue that pure content to pipeline conversion is like 0% for some companies. So if that's the case, you're just putting in these friction points in the customer experience with actually no value. So once, if you're able to, so when it comes to measurement, like looking at that conversion rate, and I would expect Christy in that example that you just gave, when you reduced it, I think you said like the conversion rates hold steady, but I, I imagine like at some point they probably increased, right? Because if you're taking out like a load of the MQLs and the conversion rates staying steady for like the ones that you don't take out, then actually your conversion rate goes up over across the board right and actually to be clear we removed anyone who then did a hand raiser like because a lot of the hand raisers alone were just coming through that and yes content somewhat played a role but it wasn't the thing that like mql'd them or on its own so we tried to find like a like for like you know instead of trying to conflate the conversion rate with including hand raisers and we just looked at the secondary mqls or the people who mql'd you know, purely probably based on this, like what they called bottom of funnel content, even though it wasn't bottom of funnel, but like high value content, it, we wanted to compare those. So that's why also it didn't really like play a huge role, but yes, we found that also it it could likely in, improve a little bit if we didn't include them. And, but then we could make the case that like the conversion rate in general, without including that group, you know, total would improve because you're not bringing when you're looking at it holistically for your conversion rate not including those people will just mean you'll retain your you know likely your hand raiser or high value lead conversion rate which would be you know 
above 20%, 30% for other clients more. So, and that's like such a great like metric to, to say like top level to like your leadership team, like this is what our conversion rate is. But when you're including all those other leads just for volume's sake, it just brings it down. And so I think getting the, I think the main thing here is like just mentality and confidence and making the change because this is what the whole thing is with the way you look at content and ungating. It's really like a mentality shift in my eyes, like for the whole team and rethinking of like, what's the purpose of content? What are the, there's new channels people are exploring for content. You know, some people whole, you know, strategy for content is maybe even less within their own, you know, what we consider like an ebook or, you know, something like that and more around LinkedIn posts or community sharing and so forth. So I think around that same time, it's then making that shift in mentality to thinking about how does content serve us in general. And it makes it so much more shareable when you don't have the gates. So just thinking about like the community building and your content is being built to help people solve problems. And the easier that it is for them to be able to share that out, the easier it is to get that message across to the rest of to the rest of the market on what it is that you're doing. Whereas, I mean, we know how it is. You get the link from somebody for a Washington Post and you immediately get the the paywall up. And it's Ugh. sort of the same way with your marketing, right? Like, I want to just get around to it. I know that the content is good, but you've now inserted this barrier that, you know, I didn't need. Well, I think yeah. when you say I know the content's good, I feel like actually sometimes with gating content, it shows that you don't trust that your content's good because <laughs> yeah. you're like, well, I'm going to trick them into giving me their email because then I need to actually like sell to them, you know, to get them to want to buy. Whereas if you actually have awesome content that you're putting out there that kind of does that for you, then you want that, like you said, that you want that to get as far as wide as possible because you actually think this is going to influence people to want to have conversations with us so let's just like spread it out let's put no friction in the way and more more eyeballs equals more conversations and sales conversations that we can have absolutely so when it does come to measuring let's say that we've aligned the teams are like okay let's do the ungating for things that do make sense what are some of either the goals or some of the metrics that i should be thinking about when trying to measure the success of my content I'll start again with Charlie. Any input there? Well, let's start with the goals. So I think there's one of the goals that is important, and I think it leads to some of the gating, is wanting to optimize the content, right? Knowing like what people are engaging with, and then you can say, okay, more people are engaging with this versus that. Therefore, you know, maybe we should do more content like this versus that, very in simplistic terms. And I think that a, having a lead measurement model for your content because they're like, oh, okay, what, let's see how many leads we're getting from this content. It must mean that like this content's working is very kind of attractive to people because it's, it, you think that it's really ha- a strong indicator for the, the value of the content. But there's so many things that can game that and there's so many like other things in play, plus, you know, all of the negatives of engagement like we just talked about. So when you think about wanting to optimize content, there are just easier ways to do that. If you're just looking at volume numbers, like you can just look at your Google Analytics and see like page traffic to different pieces of content or how long are people on those pages. You know, there's tools that can show, you know, the heat maps of your content. And there's all these different ways that you can 
get data on your content. You can even, you know, if you've got people posting to LinkedIn, you could, there's apps that can track, you know, everyone who's at your company who's posting to LinkedIn and seeing what, you know, what content people are engaging with there. And it, I think there's, there's so many ways that you can get data on that. I mean, if you're doing videos, you look at your YouTube analytics. I mean, either you can go on and on and on and on. You don't need to look at the lead data, right? And I think what happens with some companies is they have, you know, maybe a paid media agency or they have a paid media team that wants to like justify their job or their, or the spend with the agency by having a lead number. Because other, if they're just saying like, oh, we've got page traffic and so they're like, maybe they kind of think that's a bit of a vanity metric. You know, there's there's the benefits of optimization that I think everyone can talk about. But when they're trying to like prove their value, they're like, oh, we generated this many leads. But then I think my perspective is like, that is also a vanity metric, right? Like you can just chuck a load of budget at one piece of content and get a load of leads. It doesn't mean that like it was any good. So and then maybe we'll come to it later, like what you should be looking at, like really as a company, like more like pipeline and meetings and revenue. So so I think that the optimization is, I think, just better if we just can take the leads out of it and just focus on the other ways that we can optimize our content, like I said, as opposed to, you know, trying to puff up a lead number without looking further down the funnel. I think when we think about the lead number too, like it influences the content creators of the organization to create things that are top of the funnel that are drawing new names into the database. When in reality, where your most effective content is middle and bottom of the funnel, driving people and accelerating deals. So if you can start to relate that maybe through like a sales enablement tool, so you're contributing it there and you can tie that that sales enablement goal and metric into opportunity velocity. That's another way that you can show the value of your content without it only being considered at the top of the funnel. I think that also when you think about, like I said, rethinking how you think about content, but I think everyone getting on board of like what actually is going to be like a conversion what Charlie was talking about, I think is a good place to start because then you'll be very aware of like, what are we going to track from like a campaign perspective? Like what actually is going to bring in leads? And there's a lot of things that you can do nowadays still that can convert people. It just has to make sense. Like if you want to run a webinar, you have to gate that. Like if you want to do an event sign up, you have to gate that. Even if you want to build like tools, that's something that you could easily gate because it's a high value piece of IP. It's something they can use for their job. People don't mind giving up their email address for that. And then a demo request contact us. Even a newsletter sign up, that can be something that you can have across your website. So when you think about like just change your mentality, it's like, do what makes sense. And that isn't going to cause that much friction or confusion for the prospect when they need to give up their information. But the thing is, everything else is just a boost in your messaging to just further send home the your brand, your value proposition about your, you know, your product. And that's what you need to then drive conversions anyway like why should i care about getting your tool or template 
if I don't even know what your company does, I don't know what your mission is, I don't even know like what the value of your product is, it, it doesn't really align that way. And so everything else is just trying to do that. It's an extension of doing that. So in some ways, I can also simplify how you approach your content general instead of having to create a lot of stuff that people can just try and convert on to get a lead. You can focus more on really high value things that people want to convert on. And the rest is purely messaging, like really brand based activities that you you should be doing anyway. You should be focusing on your messaging. I think that matches more to the buyer experience now than what it did before because I think a strong brand and like the, you know, really stands out. Even in B2B, I think before it was a bit stuffy. It was a bit more traditional, but it's not like that anymore or it doesn't have to be like that. And so you need to engage your prospects in a different way. Yeah, I agree with that. One thing that I wanted to try and figure out is like, are there tools that we can explore that will help us to measure this? Chrissy, what do you think there? Yeah, I think there's downfalls to the tracking, right? So one one of the things you just need to get behind is like, you're just not going to be able to track things like the way you used to. Like you just aren't going to see that lead coming through. You're not going to have a gain in front of it. So you might be more reliant on different places to get the data that you do need. So the first thing is like, obviously Google Analytics or any type of like web conversion tool that can give you like consumption on, you know, your pages that maybe do have your content, time on page. You know, if you're doing some A-B testing there too, that could be interesting. There are some tools that can help you support that as well. But I think looking to a tool that can just give you a sense of, you know, how well that content is just doing in general, not tied to a person, but just overall. It's like the same way you look at your podcast, right? Like we don't go, how many leads did we get from this podcast episode? We're looking at, you know, how many downloads is it getting? How long are people listening and so forth? And so you kind of need to think about your content in that same way for things that you are engaging. And there are some tools too, like your multi-touch attribution tools, where it's likely that they'll be able to try and do give you the like how well things that are not being gated, anonymous web activity, like how that is performing, and then tie that then back to the person, a given influence credit for when they do convert. And some tools do that really well. Hockey Stack does that really well because you can even pull in like LinkedIn impressions. So if you're trying to, you know, do some content there, there is, you know, visible in some sense has some of that. Full Circle has digital source tracker. So look into your tools, but a multi-touch attribution tool can likely give you some of that data too, or at least tie it back then to someone who does convert as well, which will then help you paint the picture for, you know, get getting more investment. Like how are these actually influencing conversion pipeline, you know, revenue, which is still what a marketer is going to say they need. Like if they're going to get a million dollars in paid, they likely need to actually show if that's even influencing their, you know, their bottom line, especially right now with finance. And I think that's the part too, is like, you need to educate all the way back even to finance. Like, Hey, we're, you know, we're doing this or just be smarter around like where you're then sending people. Like I said, if you have high value offers, 
like a tool or something that could be paid search, but then you still do branding campaigns. No one's ever stopped doing those really like, and people were just okay with that. But think about maybe other types of content or just kind of brand campaigns that you're investing in. Anyway, those are some tools that I think can help with that. And then you can start then to also think about how you want to track when someone does convert on your website. Like I think Xander, you were mentioning, you can talk about this a little more, but maybe tracking some ITMs so you can actually see, okay, when someone does convert, what was the last piece of content that got them to that conversion spot? And then that can be something that you can then leverage. I think the main thing here, like we've talked about in any podcast where we talk about measurement, it's how are you going to use the data? What answers are you trying to get? And then pair that with it and then operationalize it. I think the problem is when you think there's like still, yeah, a silver bullet to all of this and how are we going to track everything? That's when I think you're going to fail. So really think through, okay, what do we want to track? What are we okay with maybe just tracking in a different way than we did before? And that's fine. And then what tools do we need then? Or what do we need to operationalize to actually get that data? Yeah, fantastic. I'll just jump in a little bit on that ITM conversation because I know that it's kind of sparked a little bit of internal dialogue. (laughs) Don't look up ITM online. You're not going to find out what this thing stands for, but I I see it. Xander's new acronym here. You're going to make this. Maybe Google it soon. It'll be associated back to Xander. I'm sure that it's not new, but it's not super common, but I've had it with a few clients and I've used it effectively myself. And I kind of treat them as internal tracking measures. Yeah. We were talking about yesterday of if you have a piece of content, set up a UTM parameter within it to be able to see, like, did that drive you to the website? But the problem of that is that oftentimes you already have UTMs that will tell you how somebody got to the website. So you don't want, you don't want to overwrite it if they start to engage with content on your page. So that's where something like an ITM can come in handy where you can actually tag your CTAs on content or within other pages to, you know, identify what converted somebody on a demo form. Maybe you have the form that's already uh, embedded and so you can figure out it from like the referrer page. But I always just like to be able to say like, if they're going to go somewhere else on the page and you want to be able to track that internally, just create a new field, ITM, you can store it in cookies, you can override it depending on what you're trying to answer and it can go really far. So definitely, definitely put that into your toolbox of internal tracking, as well as your UTMs that are telling you externally, how are they getting to your site? Yeah, I like that. I think a lot of the the kind of the points in the last section here. So when I mentioned, you know, one of the goals is about optimization. I think there's, you know, the other goal that is, it's kind of a hot topic a bit in marketing right now is and I'm going to say the word prove, but then maybe talk about it a bit differently. So like, how can marketing like prove that something is working? And I mean, CS2, we always talk about you should be using data to improve and not prove. But the hard truth is that, especially in the, the modern climate, finance, board, etc., they are asking marketers to prove that things are working, right? So, you know, you, we can talk here theoretically until the cows come home about, no, but it's better to improve. But like, when you're actually sat in the trenches and your bosses are telling you, I need you to tell me if this is working or not, then you need to figure out a way to tell them if it's working or not. So like the risk is if you do on gate, then you do lose maybe some of that ability to sh- tie 
that engagement to revenue, right? Which is the test to see if something's working or not. You can look at Google Analytics all day, but if you know if you can't say that those page views turned into pipeline and revenue, then people are going to kind of get upset and tell you maybe that's not working. So I think the ITMs is a nice way because you can show, okay, this content led to maybe this demo request, which then turned into pipeline. Yeah, Chrissy, you mentioned some of the other tools that you can introduce that can tie anonymous web traffic to the lead that eventually gets created. So in the example that I gave, you know, maybe they engage with a load of content, but then they fill out the demo form. You know, now we can also see the whole journey that they did engage with other pieces of content before they filled out that demo form. So there are ways that you can get kind of content pipeline measurement, content revenue measurement. Another way is quite popular right now is self-reported attribution you know, which is the fancy new term for how did you hear about us field, which is probably the oldest form of marketing measurement in existence. I'm sure cavemen, when they were trying to sell each other rocks, they were like, how did you hear about my amazing rocks or whatever? So it really is funny how like it's seen as this new innovative way of doing things, but it probably literally is the most basic form of uh, marketing measurement, but it still works, right? And maybe the things that are timeless and often the things that are the best. So if you are able to capture the, how did you hear about us on a form? Maybe people will say, I've been engaging with your content. I've been listening to your podcast. I've been checking out your LinkedIn post. Or you can introduce it during the sales process. So get your sales team up to ask about it. There's fancy ways that you can create triggers in your call recording platforms like Gong to be able to pick up on the answers to those questions and maybe even sync that to fields that then you can apply to the opportunity so you can see that your content is impacting pipeline and revenue so my point with all of this is that there's like the optimization piece how can you improve your content where you don't really need to tie that to pipeline and revenue because certain you know white paper down like view to revenue is too simplistic of a term in that case but in general trying to associate your primary content channels to so pipeline and revenue is possible through some of these methods that we've talked about. So you, when you do make the switch, you're not losing that, which I'm sure people, that's one of people's biggest fears is, is like, would I just have my whole content marketing program turned off because I can't tie it to revenue? That's great. Chrissy, I think that we want to try and wrap this one up. What yeah. is a big idea that we should maybe consider when it comes to generating content and then using that in measurement? Yeah, so I think we're going to kind of wrap this up with a bow because we've talked about a few things here that I think will feed into my advice. And if you are going to ungate your content, and when I say ungate your content, I mean the content that makes sense to ungate, <laughs> something that you don't need to give up your information for, I think it's important to then think about converting people on those CTAs where you do get a conversion and make that really easy to do that. So I like to think of those as called like your secondary call to action. And it's something that we will do in nurtures a lot of the time. So your nurture email itself is probably going to deliver the information that they need sometimes within that email or just sending them to an ungate piece of content. But then sometimes we'll pepper in some secondary CTAs of things that they can, you know, sign up for, whether that's like a rotating, you know, webinar sign up with a snippet that gets changed out. It's doing a demo request, contact us or something else. So think about that in your website and your, and so when you do have a page or if you have a page where someone can ingest a piece of content, 
what's a secondary CTA that would be visible there? And you can you could have that be your demo request or contact us. It's just very present, but there could be rotating things that you can have, especially based on the type of content it is and whether it's introductory or later, you can have like webinars or you can simply have like a newsletter sign up. And if someone really does like the content that they're ingesting that isn't gated, hey, maybe they do want to sign up for your newsletter so they can get all of this. Or maybe it's a tool or template that's really high value that's going to help them in their jobs day to day. That makes sense. You know, maybe it's doing a self-guided tour of your product. Just like something. Think about what the secondary offers can be. So you're still trying to capture that demand. And then if you're using like an ITM like Xander's talking about, then you can actually see what are the piece of the content that's driving those secondary CTAs or those conversions. And so, so yeah, so when you think about ungating or moving to, that's also an easy thing for marketers to kind of swallow a bit like, oh, okay, yeah, well, they're still going to be able to convert. And those are usually sources of higher value leads that then are going to convert down funnel or also be ready with maybe like a booking tool or chat tool or something if they're able to see, you know, how much time are they spending on content or on your website, have that pop up and start the conversation to book a meeting. There's a lot of things you can do to convert. You don't always have to just make it simply like, okay, we have any piece of content, put a gate in front of it. So secondary CTAs, I like to call them, but just, you know, in pairing, you know, gates that makes sense along with content that is ungated that doesn't make sense to gate is my piece of advice. What a good combination. Thank you, Chrissy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Chrissy, for joining today. This was a this was a meaty topic and one that's hard to come up with a with an immediate direct answer. But I think that we've done quite the job today. And hopefully this has been helpful for you who is listening to the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Revenue Growth Architects podcast presented by CS2. If you have a similar problem that you want to have resolved, please send us a message. This can be a text, an email text message to us, an audio recording or a video recording. Just send it to rga at cs2marketing.com and we may be able to solve the problem for you on a future podcast episode. Thank you so much and have a great day.